But now I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 15. I'm reading just two verses from that chapter, verses 13 and 14. And it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Spiritual intervention. Can you remember a time in your life as a believer when just at the right moment, in the right way, at the right time, somebody spoke a word into your life? Something that you needed to hear to remind you or maybe to bring you into some new realization which challenged your responses broke down the inner defense systems that we hold so often, even against the Word of God, and brought you into a new realization which led you forward to change and fruitfulness and spiritual prosperity. I remember many times like that. Intervention is very important because today we have what is called the bystander effect. The bystander effect. I was quite shocked to watch recently a YouTube video, all kinds of stuff pops up on YouTube video, and this was a real live footage taken from a gas station, a petrol station supply store, even in Britain we have the petrol stations and a supply store, and a man was brutally gunned down in the sight of everybody within the space of seven seconds, six Bullets were fired into this body. He collapsed on the floor and then the perpetrator was not happy enough. He took his pistol, empty of bullets, and pistol whipped him and then kicked him and beat him brutally and then fled the scene. And the surveillance footage picks up the aftermath where bystanders, in order to get their groceries, ignored the blood-soaked body on the floor not even looking at him, but stepping over him. Five people in a row. Nobody stopped. Nobody asked what's happened. Nobody called the emergency services. That's the bystander attitude. I've got a better story coming up in a moment in case you're losing it here today. But there are certain things that take place when we witness somebody in distress or trouble and we are part of the crowd we, we don't like to interfere. We think, well, it's not my responsibility. And I don't really know what's going on. I've got insufficient information here. Uh, we may suspect it's dangerous or we're suspicious if it's a trick. We're afraid sometimes and sometimes we're just too busy and can't be bothered. We don't know how much time it's going to take, what it will cost, what we're getting involved in. Sometimes we're just too wrapped up in ourselves and what we were purposing to do in the moment and we lose our sense of civic duty and our care for others. By the way, if you ever come across something like that, there's always something you can do without putting yourself at risk. Maybe 
call the emergency service, 999, call the police or child protection, whatever you can do. And also, be encouraged because when one person acts, studies show that others also get involved. But now a more positive story which I came across in the press from, um, the, uh, from Leicestershire in a town called Market Harborough. And the headlines read, Hero steps in as wallet stolen from pensioner with walking frame. Very graphic headline. And it only took place very recently in June this year. And there was a 79-year-old man going about his business, very frail, with a walking frame. And a thief stopped him and distracted him by saying, Oh, look, you've got chewing gum on your trousers. And the man said, where, where? And he pretended to help him, but meanwhile, he stole his wallet with 45 pounds in it and his credit card. And then he taunted the pensioner, the old man, and said, ah, you can't run after me, and he took off. But there was a hero standing by. He saw the whole thing and gave chase, and the thief ran into a nearby park and hid the guy took out his mobile phone, and there he was, police surveillance 101. And the judge said it was that surveillance footage, or that footage, that helped convict the man. And the judge was so impressed with this citizen that he awarded him £250 out of public funds. So there's a quick way to get some money if, you, <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking for it. So... What happened? He intervened. The dictionary definition of intervene is get involved. To intervene means you intentionally become involved in a difficult situation in order to improve it or prevent it from getting worse. We've just covered t 10 years after the banking crisis and the financial crash of 2008. And you remember how across the world, governments intervened in the banking system. Some of the parts of the bank went into public ownership. And we have positive examples of interventions. A minister recently, a political minister, recently intervened to personally stop a museum from being closed. We've got medical intervention, providing treatment in times of crisis. We have educational intervention where a child is noticed with bad, disruptive behavior and that troubled young person experiences intervention. And the school staff or professionals are called in to try and find out what's going wrong, to try to help. But what about spiritual intervention. One thing is for sure, God doesn't want us to be merely bystanders, but to get involved where there's a need. Step in to meet that need, even if it's just to direct somebody to where they can get help. Now there was a need for intervention as Paul was writing to the Romans. Paul had not personally visited Rome. He'd looked forward to it because by this time he had 
evangelized, as he says, all the way from Jerusalem roundabout to Illyricum, and he'd preached the gospel, planted churches in all those regions, and now he was dreaming of the regions beyond, and so he wanted to come to Rome, encourage them, be encouraged by them, and move on to the next stage in his mission. So he writes to them, many of those in Rome he knew by name, some he knew personally, but for most of them, he'd never met them. So he begins to prepare them for his first time visit to Rome. He talks about himself, and in particular, he describes the gospel that he's preached, the gospel that he's received, and the gospel that he's preached all around that part of the world. And, and it gives for us, perhaps, one of the fullest, if, if not the fullest, exposition of the gospel in the New Testament. And that's why the book of Romans is often at the top of the agenda for people who are studying theology to get to grips with the gospel as Paul traces it right from the Old Testament on into New Testament times and, and further into the future as Jesus Christ returns. But as well as doing these things, Paul is intervening in the spiritual life of that church in the capital city of the Roman Empire. Paul knew that there was a problem, and it was crucial for this problem to be resolved. And the problem involved tensions between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. It's hard for us to imagine what it must have been like in those days for Jewish believers, people who had come to Christ from a perspective of Old Testament understanding, Jewish culture, traditions, in which God's purposes were being worked out mainly through one nation which was called to be liked for all nations, but with the coming of Jesus Christ, the gospel and the covenant promises of God are extended to include the Gentiles. And Paul was the great apostle to the Gentiles. He's championing his ministry. And how important it was for these two groups of people to see themselves not as separate, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. But there were practical problems. For example, table fellowship, or eating meat sacrificed to idols. The Jewish dietary laws were probably still being kept by the Jewish Christian believers and the Gentiles, where they had everything, and everything with legs except the table. There was no problem with them. And Paul had to help them with this. Then there are the cultural attitudes. You cannot underestimate the difficulty that there was in the early church and, and the success of the Gentile mission and the unity of the church, especially in Rome, which was the spiritual epicenter of all of this, and certainly the political epicenter of the empire. So Paul is addressing these issues. And you, when you read through the book of Romans, you see how often he refers to Jew and Gentile and showing how that we are all one in Christ. The Jew needs to be saved by faith alone, and the Gentile needs to be saved by faith alone. He brings it all together. Then at one point, he makes his major contribution by saying, remember, 
whoever you are, receive everyone whom Christ has received. Jews as believers welcome the Gentiles. Gentiles as believers embrace the Jews. You owe to them the Bible, the prophets, the Savior, all of this. And so celebrate together by receiving one another. As I look around this morning, I see how important it is for us to do that. But then again, we do. Here we are in this licorice all sorts kind of congregation. And we have all sorts here. Uh, uh, we almost could be a Coca-Cola advertisement because we have people from all over the world. And we are all one in Christ Jesus. We have learned to receive one another. But back in that day, it was a big difficulty in the future of the church depended on it. So they needed intervention. And the Apostle Paul intervenes by speaking a word into their lives. And he does it with authority because he is an apostolic leader not like any exist today. He was one of the original foundation apostles and he was speaking words of scripture with great authority. And, and in one part, later on from the verses we read, it says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. So he has great authority. But he knows it's not enough. Back in the day, there was nothing like the modern means of communication that we have. Today, we are live streaming and there are people from all over the world watching us in all different time zones. And uh, we have ways of communicating, email, electronic communications. But back in the day, they never had that. But it's more than just the convenience matter or the practical issues relating to communication. Paul has an understanding of the body of Christ. He is the great champion of this teaching in the Bible. He says we're all members of the same body and every member has a function to role, a function to play, a part to play and a, and a role to, to fulfill. Every single one of us has the Holy Spirit and we are called to minister by the Word and the Holy Spirit to one another in so many ways. So Paul says, right, I am speaking to you, but I need you also to spiritually intervene. I need you also to speak to one another. And that's what he's addressing, especially here in verse 14. He says, now I myself am confident concerning you. And I think that's a very good place to start. Because so often, people who are in the professional ministry have no confidence in those that they are leading. They say, I am the expert, I am the minister, listen to me, you don't know how to do this. But today, people are recognizing that we're all called to share in the ministry together. And here in this church, we desire to equip you to be a minister for Jesus Christ in your home, your family, your college, your classroom, your office, your place of work, in your recreational life. We are all ministers of Christ, and that begins by ministering 
to one another. Paul says, I'm convinced of this, I'm confident concerning you, that you are, first of all, full of goodness. Very important. Because if he's speaking about spiritual intervention, he knows how easy it is to be negative, to kind of be spiritual busybodies, and to be critical, and to be superior, and to say, oh, how long have you been a Christian? Five years? Five years! And you don't even know how? You don't even know what the book of Ecclesiastes means? I remember when I first read the book of Ecclesiastes, I, I couldn't even pronounce the name. And Job, to me, was still Job. Job! How long have you been a Christian? Three months. Don't you know it's Job, brother, not Job. Job. So I said, it's a good job you know. <laughs> so Paul says, no, no, you, 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 it got, it's got to begin with your motivation. You've got to be full of goodness. And this goodness in you, which is a very rich word, actually, uh, it encompasses so much, it means a loving attitude, a positive attitude, an attitude of welcome, an attitude whereby you give and receive, you don't set yourself up in a superior kind of way, you offer what you offer today, knowing that you need to receive yourself. This goodness speaks about the, the right attitudes, not to have a negative, critical, condemnatory approach, but a loving, compassionate empathetic approach where you speak but you speak with gentleness and your goodness, the goodness of God in you. You are so grateful for the mercy of God. You do not set yourself up as superior to anybody else. You may have some superior knowledge, fine, but without that heart of gratitude Welling up with goodness, the goodness of God. Hasn't God been good to me? And you are full of goodness. And out of goodness, not pretend, but real, genuine, wholesome goodness. Your motivation is there to be a help, not a hindrance. And that goodness will temper everything that you do. You will wait for the right time. You will wait for the right opportunity. You will speak words which are wise and your goodness, the goodness that's in you, will ensure that you will get the very best hearing. But then the Apostle Paul says, I'm convinced also that you are filled with all knowledge. That's very important. If we are going to speak into somebody else's life, we need to know God ourselves. We need to have tested these things out, experienced them in our lives. We need to know the scriptures and more than just knowing about them and being capable of finding passages quickly in meetings. It's about understanding the scriptures and growing with your understanding. There's nothing worse than ignorant intervention. When somebody steps in and out of their Ignorance gives you an intervention that's not appropriate, not helpful, and not even accurate. Although sometimes it can be quite amusing. 
I remember a number of years ago when Rodney Howard Brown, we hosted him at Wembley Conference Center. And those were powerful meetings. It was the height of that move of God, which was frequently accompanied by physical effects. A lot of people were falling to the ground and not getting up quickly. Uh, there weren't those who said, oh, I've been prayed for. Let me make him feel good. I'll fall to the ground. And then when he's not looking, I'll get up again. This was, had all the hallmarks of something genuine and positive, as indeed the emotional reactions of laughter and joy that were coming out. On the last meeting, many of you were here, were there, and Rodney Howard Brown decided, out of the 2,000 or whatever or more people were there, he was going to pray for every single one of them. And the stewards worked overtime that day. So they lined up at the front. And he prayed for them. And every one of them began to fall and to be affected by the power of God. And, and, and so then they lined up on the aisles and he followed them up the aisles. And they were lined up in the reception. And he followed them there. They lined up the stairs leading into the building. And he followed them there. They lined up in the car park. He followed them there. And in that little green space outside of that auditorium, there was a little bit of a green space. And they lined up there. And every one of them were lined up on the floor, and somebody passing by called the emergency services. <laughs> Quick, you better get here quickly. There's been a gas leak, some kind of poison. There are people who are unconscious all over the place. And when the fire engines arrived to find a bunch of happy, clappy Christians, they had no idea what had happened. So when you intervene, you really ought to find out what you're dealing with. But Paul says, far from being ignorant, you are filled with all knowledge. And this is godly knowledge. The Bible warns against ungodly counsel. And as believers, we need to check out what people say to us to see if it lines up with Scripture. And Paul says, I have no doubts about you. You know the word, you know the Lord, you know the Bible, and you can give godly counsel. And so, when people are full of all knowledge, this knowledge is, is not just head knowledge, it, 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 it's knowing God. It's the most important knowledge of all, to get to know God, to know yourself and understand yourself, and then you are be, be, beginning to be able to understand others. People who have this wisdom and understanding, they avoid negative intervention. They avoid inflexible, harsh application of Scripture. So somebody is bereaved, and so along comes this interventionist. Says, oh, I've got just the verse for you, Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. So don't worry, cheer up. Now, how many people know that that is a scriptural truth? But how many people can see how insensitive it is to simply to go out like that, rather than understanding what somebody's going through? In a bereavement situation, sometimes words are too much. Simply being with somebody and being there in their shock, their grief, their anger, Anything that flows out of that. So all knowledge 
means knowing God, knowing yourself, and knowing others. Then he comes to the issue of competency. Because in everything, we need to learn how to be competent at something. And in our training programs here, you always get you to work alongside somebody else who is more experienced so that you can pick up competency and ability. And uh, so he says, I, I'm, I'm also convinced that you are competent, that you are able to admonish one another. In other words, they're well trained. And incidentally, when we were looking again some time ago at developing our Bible Institute here, we looked at the elements of training. And for anybody to be trained in something, three, at least three things have to happen. They have to have the right attitudes. Because you can do everything right, but with the wrong attitude, it comes out wrong. So it's about your attitudes. Then it's also about knowledge. It's, it's what you need to know in order to function in a particular thing. And then also, it's about skill. Knowledge, attitudes, and skill. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. But he says, I know, I'm confident that you are competent. In other words, he, he could have said, well, your training programs there in, Romans, in, in Rome is doing well. And here in this church, we seek to train you in every possible way to encourage you to develop competency in standing up for Christ, competency in sharing the gospel, competency in helping people. And this is why I encourage you to, be, to participate in any training program we have. Now, the purpose of all of this is how we minister to one another. And there are around 40, 47 verses in the Bible that speak about our ministry to one another. It says we're to love one another, to serve one another, to encourage, to exhort, to comfort one another. Also, to warn, correct, and admonish one another. This tells us that you are your brother's keeper. We have a responsibility for one another. And we cannot be bystanders when we see somebody in trouble or in danger. We must intervene in the right way. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, in other words, you who have the Holy Spirit, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you are also tempted. There's a very clear indication that we can't walk by on the other side and just be a bystander, that there's something in us who knows it's important to reach out to others. Particularly when it comes to this word, admonish. It's a strong word. I, I found an eight-page paper on explaining this word alone. 
It's a very rich word. It basically means this. There's something wrong, something going on that requires outside intervention. Person's struggling with something. Maybe they don't even know they're struggling. And you know, half the time, the things that are going on, we're not even aware of. We think it's normal. Show up once or twice on a Sunday, maybe put some money in the offering, go home, and that's my Christianity done. Right? Wrong. That's not normal. That's not New Testament. That's not the vibrant life of the kingdom of God. And it's not normal. It's not okay. And maybe sometimes you need somebody to say, hey, what are you doing for God? Are you active in the cell ministry? Are you reaching out to touch other people's lives? Are you serving God? Well, yes, I'm going to work. Well, that's a good thing. But are you using that in the way God wants you to use that? That you've been influenced there in the workplace? And in our 2020 vision, we require everybody, we need all hands on deck because stuff that is coming in the 2020s, we need to be ready for it and we need to be involved. So we need to get involved. So this word suggests there's something there that needs addressing and somebody speaks accurately, sensitively, powerfully from the outside to remind to put something in your mind, to provoke you. Not to meddle or to trifle or to judge or condemn or criticize or reject, but to call you back to your true purpose to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul knew that to crack this problem, it was not enough that he should send apostolic letters from a distance, but every member had to be aware of the situation and agree to work together to keep everybody focused and everybody on track. And this is not as easy as it sounds. A little similar to this problem is a problem that I've encountered as I've ministered to people who have come to Christ from a Muslim background. And I've been to conferences where uh, conferences are hosted by Arabic-speaking Christians who've come to Christ from a Christian background. And then there are those Arabic-speaking Christians who've come to Christ from a Muslim background. And do you know that to get those two groups together is more difficult than you can possibly imagine? But think about it for a bit. I was in a seminar, I was just a delegate, in a seminar and uh, the person giving the seminar was encouraging those who'd come to Christ, Arabic speakers, from a Christian background to love, to accept, to receive the believers who had recently come to Christ from a Muslim background. And, and there was tension. And I had not got a hold of this issue. I thought everybody was all happy and one in Christ. I had no idea that there were massive tensions. But when you think about it, one man stood up and he said, You asked me to love these people? These were the ones who killed my family. And you're the hurt, the pain, and the cultural differences. In fact, they say that the tensions are so great that it's almost racial in terms of its cultural feel. And we can't pretend that these things don't exist, but we have to address them. And I, I, I just know this, 
that for that situation to find healing um, and reconciliation and true spiritual community, it requires that everybody makes an effort. Everybody is prepared to speak into that situation in a helpful way. We need to help one another. And we need the wisdom, boldness, love, and skill to be able to speak into somebody's life. And very often, what needs speaking into is we need to somehow realize that the level of Christianity that we have inherited in our spiritual environment is so far away from the radical, disciple-making, passionate, Christ-centered, wholly committed Christianity, which is our birthright, and we see it here in the New Testament. And so we are to provoke one another in an encouraging kind of a way, and we need to be prepared to let somebody in to tear down our arguments which support our non-involvement. I'm too busy to see the hours I work. I can't possibly attend this meeting and that meeting. And what's the matter with you? You want more and more of your time. I don't want one, one second of your time. Jesus wants it all. Not me. He wants it all. And so how do we provoke one another? Also, how do we do it with sensitivity and wisdom? Well, you know, I didn't go to cell meeting. Why not? Well, I'm pregnant. You're pregnant? Yes. And they've diagnosed twins. And they, maybe there's a third one in there. So you expect me, what am I going to do about that? And, and it's no good saying, oh, well, you've got to go to the cell meeting. You've got to say, well, maybe God is giving you your own little congregation. <laughs> so with sensitivity and, and, and with grace, but never, ever letting go of the blueprint and the standard that God is calling us to. In these days, there's only one way to go through, and that is together, helping one another, understanding one another, being patient with one another, and admonishing one another because we are open to somebody speaking in to our lives. And so, for us today, there are too many Factors that affect our mindset. Too many things operating which we have internalized, saying that doesn't apply to me. I'm happy, and what I'm doing is normal, even though I'm not serving God, even though I'm not growing as a Christian, even though I'm not engaging in the community, even though I'm doing nothing outwardly that you could measure and say that's serving Jesus. Very often it simply means this, Look at the whole of your life differently. Where you are, God has put you. Are you in a home, family? Well, minister. Share the love of Christ there. Encourage one another. Are you in a business or you have a full-time employment? You have to be wise and careful. Nobody wants a Bible basher as a colleague. But be prepared to speak up. See it as your mission. See it as your, the place where God has put you to serve him and find ways of doing it. Remember that old saying, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. There is a way, friends, of understanding every moment belongs to Jesus. 
even in your recreational moments when it's there for you, where it's you time, where it's there for you to relax and be refreshed and, and do some activity, some recreational activity. If you love God, you're going to find even there it's going to overflow without effort into a time of ministry. In fact, most often, the contacts we make which are fruitful for the kingdom of God are those which we make in our daily affairs, our daily life, our daily walk with Jesus. If you take Jesus with you, you will be ready. So, there's too many things affecting the way we think which keeps us trapped into this belief that we can only be on the periphery, never engaging truly in the things of the kingdom. Too many of us are spiritual bystanders rather than those that rise up and get involved in one another's lives in the right way. There are limits and boundaries to this. It needs great wisdom and strong loving motivation. Of course, of course, of course. But don't let that put you off. Because when you intervene, others will see and they will follow. And soon we'll be a community working together to fulfill the vision that God has called us to fulfill. Amen and amen. amen. Give Jesus a big praise. <laughs>